Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Metro News, the voice of West Virginia, this is West Virginia Outdoors with Chris Lawrence. You'll have big fish. Well, you'll have several big fish to run pretty close to 10 pounds. This vehicle's actually been rolled over more than once. I'll try not to add to that legacy today, if you don't mind. Most of your blood trail dogs, for the most part, they're dash hounds, wiener dogs. Some people use labs. Some people use pit bulls. But for the most part, on leash is a wiener dog. West Virginia's only outdoor radio show. Proudly presented by the Hatfield-McCoy Trails. With over 600 miles of ATV trails located in the rich mountains of southern West Virginia. And now, here's West Virginia's voice of the outdoors, Chris Lawrence. Hey, welcome in everybody. Another edition of West Virginia Outdoors presented by the Hatfield-McCoy Trail System. Hopefully you've got an opportunity to get out on your four-wheeler, side-by-side, ATV machine, whatever it might be, and get down to the Hatfield-McCoy Trails because now's the time to do that. Wonderful weather, and it's a great outing. You ought to check it out. What we're going to check out over the course of the hour, we're all over the place today. Coming up in a moment, Mike Gray, who's a professional trapper. He and his organization have an event going on up in Marion County. We'll talk about that for you who are aspiring trap enthusiasts. Also, um, how about rattlesnakes? Have you run into one of those? It's that time of year, and Kevin Oxenrider with the West Virginia DNR is continuing to want to hear about your rattlesnake encounters. So we'll talk about that with him. And then a couple of guys from DNR, Colin Carpenter, the Bear Project Leader, and Tyler Evans, who heads up the West Virginia Wildlife Center, will be talking about young wildlife, particularly bears, and dealing with them. So that's the show today. We'll get it all started after this. Last year we had a bumper crop when them white oak acorns started to drop. So many I twisted my ankle walking to the stand. Everywhere you look was a sweet persimmon. Big around as a Florida lemon was a white tail grocery store all over the land. And we are back on West Virginia Outdoors. Chris Lawrence with you on a Saturday morning. We're kind of all over the place this morning. We're talking about this, that, and the other when it comes to the outdoors. It's that time of year, as you're aware. So, it should not surprise you that we are going to bring into the conversation a man who loves to trap. He loves it so much, he's made it his life's work, and that is my old buddy Mike Gray. Mike, how are you, buddy? Oh, doing good, Chris. Glad to have you on with us this morning. You, you're, you. How long have you been? You're an actual professional trapper. I mean, you do it, you know, like the the conventional mountaineer way, you know, in your own time, but. Even as a job, you'll go and you'll uh, you'll get skunks out of people's basements for them. I mean, that's your thing. That's correct. Yeah, we uh, 
We function uh, pretty much uh, year-round. I've worked uh, <laughs> every day but Christmas Day. <laughs> what, what possesses a man to want to make a living pulling rattlesnakes out of the attic and, and skunks out of the basement? I mean, it, there, there can't be much more difficult jobs than those. Uh, it, it, it is an adventure. Uh, our state, uh, we have a wonderful state and a lot of diverse wildlife and uh we actually, uh, I, I've done a lot of this before, uh, on, on permits and stuff. DNR would call things like that. Then, uh, back in the early 90s, they'd, uh, actually create a program. And, uh, so we, we, we got on board, uh, within the first few months of the program. And, uh, it's, it's really neat. Uh, you, you get to meet with different people and stuff. And, and the thing about this, uh, we normally uh normally you're as a fur trapper you're meeting with uh farmers uh maybe uh some developers stuff like that but uh it's usually people who have some idea of the outdoors uh i love i love doing this because uh i i get with uh suburbanites and uh <laughs> people from uh <laughs> different places and Move into our mountain state, and oh my gosh, no one told them about the raccoons, the woodchucks, the squirrels, and the black bears. Well, you, you have to consider. Do you tell them uh, you have to understand that you built a house in their living room, so it's they're going to be here. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> you know, that's that's just how it is, and and you're going to have to share the property with them because they were here first. So, yeah. what's and, the what's the craziest call you ever got? Somebody wanting you to remove something. Oh boy. Uh, we've had a lot of phantom animals. Uh, a lot of what? A lot of phantom animals. Phantom ghost, animals? Yeah, just plain ghost animals. Uh, I I did a uh, oh gosh, one time we were investigating a growling animal under a uh, under a under a mobile home, and it turned out to be the guy's computer router. <laughs> <laughs> We we even did we even did an actual uh, prairie dog one time. Uh, the guy was and the guy was pretty cool. He was, uh, he was very apologetic uh, on the phone because he, he he thought I would consider it to be a crank call. Uh, but he had a he had a pet prairie dog. It got loose and uh, I, I had to think for a minute. I knew they were herbivores, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we were able to catch him for him. And we do uh, we get a lot of exotics. Uh, I had a uh, I had. Oh gosh, we've done uh, Burmese pythons, uh, yellow boas, uh, different types of snakes. Um, and you know, people blame our kids at WDU for stuff, and they get in their fair amount of ordinariness, but so, so do we all. Uh, every now and then they'll get a snake in an apartment that gets loose or something, and it's terrifying the girls on the base on the apartment below them or uh <laughs> <we get> that. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is a whole hodgepodge of stuff uh have, have and, you, and we do we do some rescues too uh the other day we had a uh, big black snake uh got tangled up in some uh landscaping mesh uh over by the aldi store uh over by going crowd down border down there and he was all tangled up and we were able to cut him free and uh, take him and uh, tur- turn him loose. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so we 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 got Kyle and the friendly end. Ever too. ever have a job you turned down? Just said, nope, I'm not I'm not doing that. There's not enough money to make me go do that. <laughs> uh, we were supposed to go after a rattlesnake that just bit a dog and killed it, and it was in the uh, 
it was in the house somewhere, and we we gave a we gave a price, and uh, folks didn't like the price, and I, I felt bad because the dog just died. So we said, "Well, we'll do this." And they said, "Well, would you get it for twenty five <laughs> And I very probably just hung the phone up. <laughs> <laughs> Going into a confined space with a rattlesnake that had just killed a dog and was already agitated, and they offered you twenty five bucks. Yeah, <laughs> not enough. <laughs> keep <Nope>. keep bidding. <laughs> Can't blame you on that one. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> well, uh, we could talk. We could talk for a full hour about the stuff that you do. By the way, what's the name of your company? If people do have a problem animal, they'd like you to come and remove. Yeah, it's ABC Humane Animal Removal. ABC uh, Human ABC Humane Animal Removal. Gotcha. Yeah, we're yeah we're, we're based here in Morgantown, but we we, tra- we travel uh, different parts of the state. Gotcha. Okay. Now you are you you're also affiliated with the West Virginia Trappers Association, and and you have your own smaller club there, the North Central West Virginia Trappers Association, which is an affiliate of the state association. But the reason I had you on today was because you all have got a big event going on this weekend. Oh, yeah, we have uh, over at the uh, Fallpaw Fairgrounds over in Marion County. That's about 12 miles south of uh, Westover, or the Morgantown Mall of Westover. Uh, yeah, we're going to have, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we have uh, uh, professional trappers uh, like uh, Jason Webster, uh, Trapper Paul out of Pennsylvania, Billy McKay, uh, uh, Michael White and uh, uh, Smokey McNichols is going to be there. As I well. know, I know Smokey. I don't know those other guys, but I'm sure they're rock stars in the trapping world. Oh yeah, yeah. Every, every one of them's professional. And Smokey, uh, Smokey is definitely a rock star in the trapping world. Oh yeah, it, it, it actually breathes his guitar. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's he's awesome. I've had him on this show before, and I think you may be the one who hooked me up with him. But I see him every year at the. Uh, at the event they have over at Milan Park in Morgantown. He's up there every year for that, oh, too. Yeah. Smokey's a character. I love to talk to him. Yeah, he, he is a, he's very knowledgeable, and he is a fantastic orator. Uh, I've, I've traveled uh, different events across the state, just, just as you have, and uh, he probably is just about the best year presentation I've ever seen. Yeah, he's good. He, he knows his stuff for sure. Yeah. So, so if you're if you're interested in trapping, there's going to be this opportunity to interact with some guys that really have a wealth of knowledge that they could share with you today. That's correct, and actually, uh, because this is a small event, uh, and we do this at our state level too. But uh, because it's a small event, uh, if somebody is really interested and has a question, uh, you can pull one of us off to the side. Uh, We'll, we have equipment with us. If you want to see a particular set made, you know, we'll go around the hill or something, you know, get a couple people with us or it's one person or whatever. Yeah, we'll, we'll give them some one-on-one. You know, it's, there's no charge for any of this stuff whatsoever at all. Uh, we'll answer whatever questions you have and get down the dirt with you and ask them to contact uh, one-on-one of you if they want to. That is awesome. The Paul Paul Fairground, what times it get started today? Okay, uh, that'll be at uh, our first demo is at uh, 9 a.m. I mean, you, you can roll in around at 8 if you wanted to, uh, but uh, basically from 9 till uh, about 5 o'clock, you know, we, we will have a uh, craft training contest for kids and adults at 4.30, uh, and we staggered the demos 
to where you have a little bit of time in between if you wanted to visit one of the booths and do some shopping or stuff. That way you don't have to worry about missing the demo. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Mike, anything else to add before I cut you loose? Uh, well, uh, just, you know, hope everybody can come out and have a good time there. Uh, and uh, remember our uh, state convention, too, uh, over at Glenville. We have that the uh, third uh, Saturday in September all the time. And uh, we do a lot of stuff with kids at the state convention for the education. We're also doing a lot of stuff for kids at our little convention, our little rendezvous here at uh, Paw Paw. So, uh, you know, uh, I hope everyone can come on out and just have a good time. Mike Gray with the uh, North Central West Virginia Trappers Association joining us here on West Virginia Outdoors. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks, Chris. we got to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment right after this. Welcome back to West Virginia Outdoors. I'm Chris Lawrence. You know, a lot of us, when we go walking in the woods, the first thing we are looking at and hoping we don't see is a rattlesnake. <laughs> That'd be the last thing I would want to see is I'm about to step over a log. Hopefully I would see it, though, before I stepped over. Nevertheless, though, the rattlesnakes have a very important place in our ecosystem, regardless of how you may feel about them. And that's important to guys like Kevin Oxenrider, who joins us now on West Virginia Outdoors. Kevin, how are you, man? doing just fine thanks for having me I, did i did i kind of sum up the way things go there most people aren't big fans of rattlesnakes but they're still a pretty important part of our ecosystem you did you did a pretty nice job of summing that up <laughs> <laughs> did, you guys i had you on last year and when you all started this and, and you were concerned about the future of the uh of the timber rattler in west virginia and and i guess across the entire appalachian range because their numbers are are starting to suffer from what everybody seems to be able to tell. Yeah, so basically what what we are starting to get concerned about, we're seeing timber rattlesnake populations starting to decline across their range in the United States. Here in West Virginia, um, we are not very sure of what's happening with our populations. It seems like they're fairly stable um, here in West Virginia, but the DNR has not done very extensive surveys or monitoring of populations here. Um, but West Virginia does have extensive forest habitats, which are necessary for timber rattlesnakes. Um, and so we still have a lot of the habitat that is necessary. And so it's almost thought that West Virginia is kind of a stronghold for the timber rattlesnake throughout the species range. And so we kind of we may have that, you know, the, the, the last, you know, remaining stronghold of the species. So, so we're trying to make sure that we still have a good, healthy population. Well, let's face it, Kevin. I mean, one of the problems, aside from the many others, one of the problems has to be just the, the absolute vitriol and hatred <laughs> toward, toward a rattlesnake. For whatever reason, some of it, probably people don't even know why they hate them. They just do. And that you know, and, and so many people will just kill everyone they see. That's got to be starting to have an impact. And that's a, a very good point. And, and they get a lot of, you know, as, as a lot of people put it, they get a lot of unjust love. Um, <laughs> so basically, you know, with rattlesnakes, because they're a venomous species, um, people have a lot of fear towards them. Um, they think that, you know, that they're very dangerous. And, I mean, obviously, if you go and are harassing a rattlesnake or trying to grab a rattlesnake and they bite you, you know, and you get envenomated, yes, they can be dangerous. Um, 
you know, venom is not a good thing to have in your body, obviously. Um, but, you know, if you give, you know, rattlesnakes their space and, you know, you leave them alone, they're not going to bite you. They don't want to bite you. Venom is used for them to capture and subdue prey. Um, that is the point of venom. Um, you know, they're not trying to envenomate everything that they get. It's very costly for them to produce in regards to energy production. Um, and so they are, are only really using that to try and capture prey. And so a lot of times, honestly, uh, rattlesnakes will actually do what we call a dry bite. Not telling people if they get bit, they shouldn't immediately seek medical attention. But a lot of times, rattlesnakes do what's called a dry bite, and they actually don't envenomate people when they bite them. They're just trying to tell you to get away. Um, but because they don't want to waste that, that venom that, that's very precious because they need it to try and eat so that they can get more energy. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, we try to tell people, you know, see a rattlesnake, leave it alone. Most people that are bitten by rattlesnakes um, are bitten because they're trying to kill it. If you're, because you're getting in close proximity to it while you're trying to kill it, and that's when it ends up biting you. So you're more likely to get bit by a rattlesnake while trying to kill it. The fear, leave it alone, you're not going to get bit. <laughs> the fear that I really have is what I just described. Walking through the woods, even if it's on a trail, uh, you got to step across a log, and you don't look down as you're stepping across that log, and there he is on the other side, coiled up, minding his own business, and somebody puts a size 12 boot in his living room, and he reacts. Uh, neither one of you really are to blame, but you just got bit by a rattlesnake. Yes, and I, that is definitely a concern that folks have, and, and they should have. That they, You should always stay you know, vigilant when you're out in the woods. You know, Living in West Virginia, you're living in rattlesnake country. You know, that's, that's part of living here. Um, and that being said, you also live in copperhead country. You know, we have two venomous snakes that live in West Virginia. Um, so you know, while you're out in the woods, you should just remain vigilant. You should know that you know, r- rattlesnakes and copperheads, for that matter, um, are ambush predators. So they like to sit and they, they sit and wait for their prey to come to them. So they like to sit along things like what you're talking about, logs, rocks. They sit where small mammals will run along um, along those trails, and they wait for them to come, and they can just ambush them and, and eat them. Um, so when you're stepping over a log or anything like that, you should try to kind of take a look over or look along before you take a step over. Um, the nice thing about rattlesnakes, they do rattle like their name would suggest, um, and so you typically can hear them. Um, they usually they, – they here, quote, quote, um, by feeling vibrations in the ground. Um, so a lot of times they do sense you coming. Um, even if they are there's a log or something between you and them, they still can sense you coming because they feel the vibration of you walking along. Um, but there are times when you can sneak up on them. Um, and so that's why it's always good for you to remain vigilant. That's why it's good if you're going to step over a log or something. Make sure you take a look over that log before you just take a step over. Pretty good advice right there to, to, to watch for your step when you're walking anywhere yeah. in the woods. As we mentioned earlier, though, the, you, you all are trying to catalog where the timber rattler stands in West Virginia as far as um, you know, whether it might be in, a, in peril or so forth. You need reports from people to, to help you do this. What are you, And this was something I think you started last year. First off, how did the first year of this survey go that you're trying to get data, gather data for? Correct. So we are doing what is known as a, it's a citizen science initiative. So we're asking members of the public to um, become involved in a science experiment, so to say. Um, so we are asking that members of the public actually, when they see a rattlesnake, they report that observation to the DNR um, through an online reporting form at www 
wvdnr.gov slash rattlesnake report. Um, and you can find that by just going to the DNR um, website. Um, there should be a link uh, right there on the website. Um, and you can go on there. There's an interactive map. You can actually click on the location where you were. Um, but um, when you find a, a rattlesnake, you can go there. Let us know where you saw it, and that will actually catalog where it was. And what that will do is it will help us in tracking the distribution of the snake uh, throughout the, the, the state. And how, what that will end up helping us in doing is figuring out where the snake is in the state, where we're having the most human interactions with the snake, um, which will help us in targeting outreach efforts um, and also help us in, in targeting conservation efforts moving forward. People take pictures of everything, and you all would, if possible, like to have a picture of these things. Exactly. So you can, on that website as well, um, what we ask for is, you know, when you're, you're submitting that observation, um, we ask for a name, um, an email address, or a phone number, which I will add that none of that data is shared with anybody. Um, that data is only um, asked for so that if we have any follow-up questions, we can ask. Um, but there is also a spot where you can upload a photograph, um, which we ask for um, so that we can a, verify whether or not it was a rattlesnake, um, and B, um, we also like to use those photos so that one of the reasons that um, rattlesnakes may be declining is from a disease um, known as snake fungal disease um, that was actually recently um, discovered in West Virginia, or we had a recent event of uh, an animal being uh, showing up with snake fungal disease. Um, it was a milk snake over in Kanawha County that some people may have heard about. Um, but we can actually look at the photos of snakes being turned in to see if they have signs of snake fungal disease. So that helps us in being able to scan animals to see if there are signs of snake fungal disease as well. And this information can be logged on the uh, WVDNR website, wvdnr.gov. Have you gotten many reports over the past year, and have, has that been able to tell you anything? We have. We've actually received um, about 300 reports uh, last year from April to December, um, and that was just in 2017. Um, and we actually were able to get um, 30 county records at that point. Well, 30 different counties have records at this point and of the, with those 300 records that were submitted from different people across the entire state. So that was actually really amazing. We weren't expecting that much, many uh, observations, but we got that many. Um, and we're hoping to get um, a lot more this year um, to try and fill out more of the map um, that we have. Um, and we're hoping that this year is, is kind of our, our last year that we're going to have this open. Um, we might keep it open next year if we feel like uh, we need a little more data, but I think that, that we're, we're looking pretty good based on the number of uh, participants that we had from last year. And if we can get that same participation this year, uh, we should be good. Kevin Oxenrider with the West Virginia DNR. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you very much. we got to take a break. We'll be back in a moment right after this. Welcome back to West Virginia Outdoors. I'm Chris Lawrence. We're all over the place this morning with topics. Chances are pretty good if you're in the uh, outdoors walking around the mountains, you may have an encounter with a bear, and chances are that bear may be one that just emerged with a bunch of cubs. It's not uncommon to see those right now, but it's very important that you do not start feeding those bears or mess around with those cubs. Colin Carpenter is the Bear Project leader. I had a chance to talk to him about that. 
Yeah, this uh, this is a time of year. It's it's the same thing every year. You know, they they always come out of the den hungry. There isn't a whole lot of natural food available. They're they're primarily eating green vegetation and and things like that. So, um, you know, from now until really into June, um, we have very little food natural food available for the for the bears. And and, and I guess that's just because things haven't caught caught up yet. I mean, just like the bears are emerging, so are the berries. Right. Right. It's it's typically going to be into June before we see start seeing things like service berries become ripe, uh, and then of course as we get into into July, that's when our, our blueberries and our blackberries become ripe. So, you know, generally if we look at our, our nuisance complaints on a yearly basis, May and June are the worst months of the year every year, um, and then typically if we have a if we have a decent blackberry crop, our complaints drop off in the in in July. So they would prefer to have a big old berry patch to uh, somebody's garbage, correct? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and feeding trials with, with black bears have shown that bears will select natural food when it is available. Um, and and it's, well, that's why it explains why we have so many issues in the spring. No natural food, they're going to take advantage of easy human food sources. Given that, you probably need to make sure that they don't have easy food sources, I would think. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is the biggest challenge, and what we try to hammer into people's heads every year is to be proactive instead of reactive. So... You know, we tell people now, you know, and the bears have been out for, for about a month at least now in most places. So we say, you know, don't put your trash out until the morning of pickup. Take down your bird feeders. Don't leave any pet food outside overnight. Feed your pets if you have outside pets a portion that they're going to eat uh, so that there's none left over. And, the, you know, a lot of people are thinking, you know, well, it might not be as prevalent as it once was. But a lot of people think, you know, the see, uh, seeing a bear is a pretty big deal. Uh, since we got so many of them now, a lot of people, that's not as big as an experience as it once was, but it's never a good idea to train a bear to come into your yard to eat out of your, out of a food bowl either, because that's only going to lead to problems, particularly for the bear. That's right. That's right. When we have bears that become, uh, food conditioned and, and human habituated, um, they generally we end up we end up destroying those animals, and you know it, it, it's something that can be easily avoided if we just don't let them get into the into the human food sources. And what do you uh, and, and and like you said, you put put don't put the trash out until trash day. Keep all the dog food, the pet food put away. Uh, any anything else that you would suggest? Um, basically. You know, and this is what's, what a lot of people can't, don't, don't think about is anything that we eat or that another animal eats, a bear's going to eat. So a lot of times things you don't think of, one of the things that, that gets rated every year that people are amazed is, is hummingbird feeders. Well, a hummingbird feeder is just sugar water. So folks will take down the regular bird feeders, but they'll leave the hummingbird feeder up, and it turns out, you know, yeah, the bear, bear likes sugar water too. So um, any, anything that, that, um, that your pets or other animals will eat or that we will eat, Bears will. So it's just a matter of keeping your, your home and your, the area around your home clean and free of human food. The bears are going to be passing through. We know that. We have resident bears that live, you know, within five miles of all of our cities and use part of, you know, city limits as part of their home range. So the bears are traveling through. The, the key is not giving them a meal when they're passing through. What about uh, uh, somebody's garden? I mean, you can't exactly put your garden up. And do, do you have a lot of problems with bears getting into people's gardens? No. No, you know, I've had people, <laughs> I've had people say that they've got a bear tearing up the garden. Generally, if it's in the garden, it's going to be going for the corn. If they've got some, you know, got sweet corn, but most folks in their gardens don't have that much corn. That you know, we we have too many bear problems. Um, I've not had a bear that's that's eating vegetables. Really? Um, you know, 
Yeah, yeah, they they uh, they're generally going for the higher calorie stuff. Well, I can see the sweet corn, but that only lasts for you know two or three weeks out of the year. There, once it's on, you usually get it off there. So. Yep, yep, and and generally, you know, we have, we have corn issues all you know every year, and that's again um, primarily that's that's big. You know, those are big corn fields. These are field corn fields, but we do have sweet corn growers that that do you know say folks that are growing sweet corn to sell do have bear problems and on some occasions, generally. Bears hit corn when it's in the milk stage. So right. as the ear's forming and, and it's super high in sugar is when bears will hit it. And, it, again, it typically coincides with a time when the berries have already disappeared and the hard mast hasn't fallen yet. So in, in August every year we have corn damage. Let's talk a little bit about, about about the offspring because, obviously, this is where the females are going to be bringing out their new cubs, introducing them to the world as well. And even though those are fun to watch, it's probably not good to, to, to interact with them any more than uh, from a distance, right? That's right. That's right. This this is uh, the time of year, like you said, the family groups are traveling together. The cubs are still really small, so generally they're under 10 pounds. Cubs of the year, the ones that were born in January, are still very small. So we get a lot of people calling in this time of year when you have they see a, a bear um, you know, on the road. They'll see a cub on the road, and it's like, well, Please don't pick it up. You let it let it go on its way. That sow is somewhere around, and she's going to come back for that cub. You just need to get out of there and let her do it. You know, we have people that'll, you know, stay there and sit there ten feet away from the cub, expecting the sow to come back and get it while they're sitting there, and you know, and it ends up keeping the cub separated for longer than it should be. So just, you know, take your picture and move on, and you know, you know, the sow will be back for the cub. How dangerous is it? I mean, you hear all the time about how a, a mother will fight to the death to protect her cubs and things like this. I mean, you, you hear a lot of those kinds of stories. I'm not sure it's quite to that degree, but it's still not a good idea to get involved in that. that that's right. That's right. Um, you know, there there's there have been very few documented fatal attacks um, of a sow protecting her, you know, a, a sow bear protecting her cubs, but there are people that get hurt every year in that situation a lot of times it's folks that have dogs um that are not on a leash um seems to be an issue um but it it does happen every year so um you know again keep keep your distance enjoy from a distance and please don't feed them (laughs) yeah the example i always give is i was with uh, your predecessor joe riffenberger one time and we were obviously visiting a den and we literally ran a mama bear out of a tree, leaving her year, her newborn cubs in the tree. She was not the least bit interested in fighting anybody for those cubs. She was hitting the road, preserving herself. Now, once we were out of there, she came back and, and hooked back up with them, but there was no um, growling and, uh, and and fighting to the death for those cubs in the top of that tree. I can promise you that. Yeah, yeah, and we, we have that every year when we're doing den, den visits. We have sows that'll run. And you know, generally they're they're within a couple hundred yards the whole time that we're we're there working up the den, um, and then of course we leave as quickly as possible and, and they come right back. But but yeah, luckily you know, thankfully <laughs> they don't uh, they're not typically trying to trying to fight us when we're we're doing the den visits. So, all right, hey man, it's always good to talk to you. Appreciate your uh, talking to you this morning. Yeah, no problem, buddy. That's DNR Bear Project leader Colin Carpenter joining us on West Virginia Outdoors, and West Virginia Outdoors is presented. Buy Ram Trucks. Get the truck that's as hardworking as you at the Ram Spring Sales event. Come on into your local dealer today and get an incredible deal during the Ram Spring Sales event.
Welcome back to West Virginia Outdoors. I'm Chris Lawrence. A moment ago, we talked to Colin Carpenter about uh, bears emerging from the den and uh, being kind of hungry until they get a little more natural food moving in. But uh, they're not the only ones. Uh, Everything. There's all kinds of offspring out there uh, at this time of year. And it's time that uh, it's fun to see, but at the same time, you should resist the temptation to try and quote unquote save them or help them out or anything along those lines and certainly don't take one as a pet tyler evans is the manager at the west virginia wildlife center in french creek and it's something that he is always trying to preach the gospel of that to folks who encounter wildlife we're in spring right now and if you go out you're probably going to see fawns at a certain point here in the near future you may see cubs may see kits you may see a lot of things that you know, are are primarily going to be found this time of the year. So it's a great opportunity to go out and see wildlife of the state and be a part of nature and be able to to really uh, see what all Mother Nature provides. One of the neat things about that is that a lot of those offspring don't necessarily have a developed fear of humans at this point, and you can probably get a, a pretty close encounter with them, but that's not always the best course of action. Well, for the vast majority of species, uh, especially for young offspring, uh, they haven't developed any of those skills yet. So essentially you're going to be able to get much closer than you should be able to uh, because the adults won't be around. Uh, but that certainly shouldn't be an incentive to get that close to them. What are some of the some of the reasons that you all tell people to, to stay away from young wildlife? Because the temptation obviously is there because they they are fun to watch. The temptation there is there to take one home and make it a pet. That's that that could not be there could not be a worse way to do things. Absolutely, and the temptation is typically uh, to quote unquote to save an animal, which in reality, when a human gets into contact with a, a young animal, takes it from that natural setting, all they do is essentially give it a near 0% chance of survival because they're introducing things that that you know, young animal is not accustomed to. Uh, they're going to be leaving scent on that animal. Uh, they're going to be taking it from that natural setting. And there's no better chance of survival than that that, that animal has than to be out there where the mother can get to it and uh, to give it that care that it needs, because humans can't typically uh, recreate that in any form or fashion. So it's only inviting uh, danger to them, and it's also going to be inviting danger to the human as well, because they could pick up things like ectoparasites, like lice and ticks, or they could even end up with things like rabies. So uh, there's really only a list of cons on the list of pros and cons for, for picking up wildlife. You know, if, if you ever read The Yearling, that was the classic example right there of, of how you just cannot raise uh, wildlife in your home, even uh, back in those days. Uh, you know, eventually that thing's going to grow up and instinct's going to take over, and the next thing you know, you got a rut and buck in your house, and that's a problem. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're still going to develop enough of their natural survival skills, but they're also going to develop a lack of fear for humans, uh, and basically you're just going to be looking at a problem, and... Uh, it's best to just to head that off before it can even become an issue, and the best way to do that is to go out and enjoy the state's wildlife but not get too close to it to the point where you're going to put that young animal in a situation that it shouldn't be in. Uh, you're going to take it away uh, from the mother, providing the mother an opportunity to raise it the way it should be raised, and essentially you could even end up with some legal issues as well. Yeah, because it is against the law to harbor wildlife in West Virginia. <laughs> 
Yeah, at the core, the the principle of it is you can't you can't possess wildlife. So uh, all the other reasons aside, uh, from a legal standpoint, it's something that we simply can't do. Uh, I was talking to Colin Carpenter a little while ago, and and he was explaining the uh, the, the the same scenario with uh, with bear cubs. Uh, they they may look like you're very likely going to see a small cub roaming around that appears to be lost and orphaned and. Uh, and all and a loner, but that's not necessarily the case. I'm sure that the mama bear is not too far away. Yeah, that that couldn't couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, I, I believe that that Colin's correct with that. I mean, you look at it, and uh, any time that you have cubs that that aren't able to keep up with the mother, uh, she's going to do something with them to conceal them or to put them in a, a situation where you know they're less likely to be susceptible to. To predators, and in those situations, humans are viewed as the predators. And uh, she may put them up a tree. She may conceal them somewhere where you know it was the best that she could come up with on short notice. But rest assured, she's always going to be coming back for them. And the best thing to do is, you know, especially with bears, not to get too close because she could really perceive you as a threat, and that'd be uh, pretty catastrophic for the humans and ultimately for for all parties involved but uh the best way to go about that is to just enjoy everything from a safe distance and uh there won't be any issues you know the uh the one thing that probably is is most common at this time of year is to find a fawn that is put by itself particularly farmers going to start cutting hay here before too long and uh that's where you a lot of times find those those fawns laying in the hay field now if you see them in time uh, it, it's okay to get off the tractor and move them over to the edge, but that that's about all you want to do, isn't it? That would be the most extreme example. Uh, certainly you would never want to, uh, you know, deliberately run over something. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, you'd want to move it the shortest distance possible uh, to where you're not leaving behind scent. Uh, should always be sure that you're not leaving behind scent on it. Uh, because that's going to only undermine its chances of survival. So you're going to want to have the least amount of interaction possible with it, and uh, that'll give the the mother the best opportunity to come back and continue to raise it the way it should be raised. And explain a little bit about that. I mean, uh, that even though the mother may not be around at that particular time, the the fawn has not been abandoned. It's actually been put there for its own protection. That's correct. That's correct. The the fawns have a few things working for them in those situations. Uh, it's their, their spotted patterns, it's their coloration, and they don't have uh, a scent, per se, at that stage of their life. So basically, those are all working in their favor, and the mothers know that, and they conceal them in a way where, you know, they're able to go out and forage and not have to worry about, you know, their fawn's chances of survival. And once humans start getting involved, it's only going to be a detrimental effect on that fawn. So it's got enough of its own tools that it that it can have to to increase its chances of survival. Uh, humans are only gonna you know take away from that. You talked about some about fox kits and, and and young raccoons and things like that. I mean, what are some of the other wildlife that you're likely going to encounter the offspring at this time of year? Oh, you're absolutely gonna. In addition to fawns, you're going to be seeing cubs. You're going to be seeing fox kits, especially red fox kits, because it seems like. You know, the red fox has a, a lot more interactions with humans based on their, their settings. But uh, in any case, you can take those principles and apply them the same way. Uh, anything that you do, any hands-on interaction that you're going to have is only going to minimize its chance of survival, and a lot of times it doesn't turn out well for, for any of the parties involved. So you can you can basically look, look at the species and... Uh, 
take that aside and, and just treat everything the same way. And the less contact you have, uh, the greater distance you keep from it, uh, the better chance it's going to make it. And calling you guys at French Creek to come and quote-unquote rescue this animal, that's, that's not what you all do, is it? That's correct. Yeah, we, we don't do that. Uh, there are circumstances where uh, we do end up with some, some wildlife uh, that are you know orphaned or abandoned, but typically uh, this is just not a, a good situation uh, for, for anybody. So uh, the, best, the best chance of survival that anything's going to have is always going to be to leave it in its natural setting, and uh, that'll allow the mother to to do what she needs to do and if it is abandoned and it doesn't make it that's kind of how mother nature rolls well for every every fawn or cub or kit uh that you see out there that that doesn't make it uh there are several others out there that just aren't seen so the reality is mother nature operates that way and um you 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 try to minimize you know the the chances of, of that happening but the best way of minimizing it is to to allow the you know, mother to, to do what she needs to do, and uh, hopefully that'll be enough to, to get them through. All right. Hey, Tyler, always good to talk to you, buddy. Appreciate your time. Good talking to you, too, Chris. Have a great day. That's Tyler Evans with the West Virginia DNR. He's the manager of the West Virginia Wildlife Center in French Creek. And that's going to wrap up this edition of the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned a thing or two. Many thanks to all those folks who joined me on today's program. we got to take, uh, well, we're going to take a week off here. Next weekend, it'll be a best of show. The show we did uh, last week with Bill Rudy will rerun next week. We'll talk about mushrooms and wild, wonderful West Virginia. Until then, you all have a great week in the West Virginia outdoors. 